Hi, my name's Jason. I'm the senior pastor at Chilton Church. We hope all our messages will help you connect more fully with God's love, grow as his follower, and share his hope with those around you. Thanks so much for joining us. All right, everyone. Well, it's exciting for me to be able to launch us into our new series out of the Gospel of Mark. Um, And we're going to be looking at this idea of living with Jesus and what it was like to live with Jesus and, and asking this question, what was it like to live with Jesus for the people who were with him, for his disciples who, who grew up around him? What must it have been like to experience his teaching and his ministry? Okay, I'm sure at some points it would have caused them to cry as well. Okay, so don't worry about that. And, and what should we expect uh, living with Jesus to be like today? What, what can we expect it to be like to be doing life with Jesus. Uh, and one of the things, and this comes out in the, the story that we're going to look at today in Mark. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to go ahead now to Mark uh, chapter 3, which is where we're going to be. Um, but one of the things that we see will happen a lot if we are going to do life with Jesus is He is constantly going to be challenging us to come into deeper richer relationship with him, to be trusting him further, to have this dynamic trust relationship with him as we learn his ways and we understand his teaching and we choose to surrender and to place our lives underneath his truth. And that's going to do a couple of things for us. And if you're anything like me, often both things at the same time. Because what will happen is God will begin to challenge in us our irreligion. That's our desire to live outside of the law of God and become a law to ourselves. How many of you can say that that's sometimes how you are? Okay, We become our own law and we want to do it our way. So if you walk with Jesus, and this was the same for all the disciples, if we walk with Jesus, we're going to have our irreligion challenged. That's just a reality, as he draws us into deeper relationship with him. At the same time, God is also going to challenge in us our human religion. What I mean by that is our traditions and our ways, the things that we can do that, if you like, begin subtly to supplant our trust in God as we begin to trust in our methods and our ways. And what God will do is he will challenge both our irreligion and our religion when they get in the way of our relationship with him. And often our religion and our own law unto ourselves, our irreligion, does do that. It gets in the way of our relationship with God. And I love the way that Tim Keller famously puts this. He says, the gospel is neither religion nor irreligion. It is something else altogether. Religion makes a law and a moral obedience a means of salvation, while irreligion makes the individual a law to him or herself. And so Jesus is going to challenge both of those. And the reason is because both of those will inhibit and get in the way of us actually deepening our relationship and our walk with God. 
And so I hope in this series you are ready to be challenged a bit in both of those spaces. Um, And to know the reason God does it is to pull us and invite us into something richer and deeper. Uh, One of the things that we see in the Bible is that people who are unable to let go of either their desire to be in control, who has some of that in their life, I definitely do, okay, their desire to be in control or their desire to defend their own traditions, okay, both of those groups of people tend to get quite offended by the teachings of Jesus, And I think we've all been there when we've been reading the Bible and we actually feel offended by what God is saying. And it's because he's touching on either of those two areas. And what we see is the people that that are unable to let go of that and to come into relationship with, those are the people that Jesus tends to challenge quite intensely. So I want to pray for us and pray for a grace over us that we would be able to let go of that desire to control that can keep us from God, or to let go of those things that have become now our own religion that keep us from God, that God would give us grace to let go of those that we could enter into His ways and into His truth, into His teaching, and into deeper relationship with Him. All right, are we ready for that? Okay, let me pray. Father, I thank You. I thank You that You love us so much that You are willing to challenge us. I thank you that you love us so much that you are willing to invite us into deeper, richer relationship with you. I thank you, God, that you know just how to to touch our hearts and our minds in ways that can bring us into freedom. It says your truth will bring us into freedom. And I thank you that, Jesus, you have the words of life. And so, God, I pray for myself. I pray for each one of us. I pray for a grace to shed those things that keep us at a distance from you, that we would be able to know greater closeness and intimacy with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Great. Now, I know that uh, some of you would have been here a couple of weeks ago when Mark Tomlinson was with us, and he spoke on rest, and he spoke on the Sabbath. Um, and some of the themes of that are going to come up again today. And so, uh, and yet it's a slightly different context. And so I hope as we look today at some of the things that Jesus is going to challenge in us. Oh, I couldn't get there in time. Okay. Um, I hope that as, <laughs> oh dear, I need to be more athletic. Okay. I could see it happening, but I couldn't get there. Um, I hope that, that as I share with us now into this time, that uh, this is going to be able to add and add perhaps additional revelation and understanding to what Mark shared about. And for those of you who weren't here for that, uh, that it's all still also going to make sense. Okay, so let's read together Mark chapter 3, uh, verse 1 to 6. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue. And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? 
to save a life or to kill. But they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Okay, we're going to read just that far. So let me say again a few things about the Sabbath. I know, as I say, you touched on this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but the whole topic of the Sabbath is something that can be quite confusing for Christians today because there are layers of teaching about it in the Bible, uh, both in the Old Testament, in the Gospels, and then in the rest of the New Testament. And so there are the commands of the Old Testament about the Sabbath, and then built on top of that are the teachings of Jesus about the Sabbath, where he's often challenging the religious people of the day, not about their desire to observe the Old Testament, but about the additional laws that they had put in place around the Sabbath that were actually keeping people from experiencing the true meaning of the Sabbath. Okay, so there's the Old Testament, there's the teachings of Jesus, and then there's the teachings of Paul, which sits on top of that and helps us as Christians in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, understand the significance of Sabbath for us today. And so just a bit of a, a definition of maybe you've never heard the word Sabbath before, but it literally means to cease to cease from what you have been doing. And so we tend to translate that as rest, this idea of rest, because we tend to think of it in the context of work. So when you have been working and you cease to work, you are now resting. Uh, and that is the big idea. And it comes from the teaching that we find throughout the Bible that God is the creator God, that he creates the earth and the world and everything in it. And at the last moment of his creation, on the sixth day, he creates all of us. He creates humanity as the pinnacle of his creation. And after that, it says that he then rested. So the seventh day was a day of rest. And what's interesting for humanity is, if you think about it, humanity is created on the sixth day, and people are then commanded to rest like God on the seventh day. So what's the first thing that people are meant to do? The first thing that God commands people to do is actually to rest. Does that sound like a good thing? <laughs> okay. It's, it's, and, and it's one of the reasons within a, a Jewish context, within a Hebrew context, the idea is that the day begins at sunset. So the first part of the day is actually the evening. There was evening and there was morning. And the first day. And the idea is that when we get to tonight and the sun goes down, okay, Monday begins when the sun goes down, and the first thing you get to do at the beginning of your day is sleep. And once you have rested, you can then go and work. And so this theme runs right throughout the entire Bible. It even runs into creation where we have this picture of nighttime and daytime. There is rest that precedes work because God worked first. God worked first and now for us, rest precedes our working. 
Okay, so there is evening, there is morning, there are seasons, there's summer and there's winter. There's winter where things are more dormant and restful, and there's spring and there's summer where everything starts to grow. Whose lawn is growing so fast you can't keep up with mowing it? Okay, that's the dynamic that we're in now. This is a season of activity, but there are also seasons of rest. Okay, so how do we begin to understand the Sabbath? Well, we're going to work backwards down this layer, and hopefully that's going to bring us some greater insight. Okay, Colossians uh, chapter 2 says this. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. This is a very powerful and profound statement that Paul makes about these things now. So if you have a look here, it's not so sharp now, but can you see the shadow that I'm casting on the wall? It's not great because we've got lots of light to try and eliminate that, but perhaps, perhaps, oh, there we go. Thank you, Chris. So you can see the shadow now. Now, hopefully, your understanding would be there is, a, there is a different significance and value, there we go, to my shadow than there is to me personally as an individual, as, as a person, yeah? So my shadow can perhaps tell you something about who I am. If you saw just the shadow and not me, you might know there's a person in the room, not a cat, or, or a lion, or, or something else, okay, it, it would hopefully look like a person, and you could see that I was moving around, and you could perhaps get a sense of how tall I was, but really, there is a huge difference between your shadow and you, and what Paul is saying, thanks for popping the lights back on, that there is a huge difference between the shadow of the Sabbath that is taught in the Old Testament and the reality that now comes in the person of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean the one disappears. It just means it is now overlaid with something that is far richer than even what was originally there. Okay, so the Sabbath was meant to teach people, to instruct people, to key people up so that when the real thing came, they would be able to recognize it. A bit like when someone's walking in the room and you see their shadow first, and you know that someone is coming because you see the shadow, and you are prepared now for them to enter the room, but when they enter the room, you stop focusing on the shadow and you start focusing on the person. And that is a sense of, of what was to come here. So the question is, what was the Sabbath meant to key us up to? What was the Sabbath meant to teach us about so that when the real came, we would be able to recognize it? And how do we experience the reality of the Sabbath now in the person of Christ? And why did it make the Pharisees so angry? Why, why were they so cross that Jesus didn't fit their mold, their religious pattern of what the Sabbath was meant to be. Uh, and so hopefully we can unpack some of that. So let's, let's go back to the Old Testament. Thankfully, we're able to do that in our language. Okay, let's go back to the Old Testament and get some context. Exodus chapter 31. And you can read about this in a number of places, but this is a good one. Exodus 31 verse 13. Say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. 
This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. The word holy means set apart. Set apart, unique, different. Different from everything else. Verse 14, observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. It is set apart for you. It is unique for you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. It was a capital offense in the Old Testament to to not observe the Sabbath. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days, work is to be done. So this isn't about we rest all the time, everyone. Okay, there is still work to be done. There is a rhythm. There's breathing in and breathe out. If you only ever breathed in, okay, you would be as in trouble as if you only tried to breathe out. There is work and there is rest. And there is rest. But the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord, set apart for God. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. I know Mark mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. What an interesting thing to say. And I think part of us struggles with this because for us, when we work, we get tired. And so rest is about a recovery of strength. I think here what this is saying is when God works and then rests, it's not that he's resting to recover his strength. The word there literally means to take a breath or to take pause or to reflect on what has been happening. And I think there's a sense in that as God works, he then rests and he's able to appreciate what has been done and to take pause. And if we only see God as a God who is always active and always working, then for us to be like him is to be a people who are always active and always working. And yet God is a God who also celebrates rest and calls us to copy him in that too. And so there is this command from from God to the people of Israel to obey the Sabbath with such a serious punishment if they don't. And you think, gosh, why is that? Why was it so severe? And we see that the Sabbath is not just about taking a rest. The Sabbath is about what God was calling the people to believe about him as God. This was about the people learning to trust him to be able to cease working and know that God was the God who still provided for them for what they needed. That they could take pause from their activity and entrust their lives to God and know that God was involved to make what needs to happen, happen. It was about knowing that God is more qualified to know what we need than maybe even we are in the moment. That we're to rely first on God not first on our own efforts and abilities and skills and work. And so to not keep the Sabbath was actually a statement to God to say, God, I don't trust you. I don't trust this is going to work out unless I keep working. I don't trust we're going to have enough unless I keep working. I don't trust that you know what is best for me. I actually know what's best for me in this scenario. And so it was not just about not keeping the Sabbath. It was about the belief statement that it made to God about not keeping 
the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath is always, and even for us today, as we enter into God's rest, it is a faith decision. Imagine this in the context of an agricultural community, which this largely was, and it's harvest time. And now is the time to gather in the grain. Or today is the day. What is the expression? You know, make hay while the sun shines. And so when the sun is shining and the harvest needs to be brought in and it's the Sabbath day and you say, well, all the other nations are maybe bringing in their crops right now, but we're going to sit at home and dedicate this time to the Lord. That is a huge faith decision about the provision of God in our lives. And so Sabbath is deeply connected to provision, to finance, to stress, to our desire to be in control. How many of you think those are big issues for us? Okay, so that absolutely. The command of the Sabbath was both to test people's faith in God, so we could see the health of our faith in God, but also to draw people into the revelation of God's faithfulness. That God is a faithful God who can be trusted. That God is a God who cares about us physically. Who actually wants to mitigate against the damage that can come in a, in a culture where we might have a tendency to overwork. And so the question is, how are you at resting? How, how, how well are you able to switch off from the buzz and the busyness, and the tasks, okay? I find that a challenge. And I think if I look at our society today, our London society today, around us, our context, I think trusting God to be able to rest, and trusting God as we give financially, because that is intimately linked to this, are two of the biggest tests to the health and genuineness of our faith before God. They test it for us to be able to know. How much are we able to trust God right now? Or do I need greater revelation of the faithfulness of God in my life? Do I still have Sabbath lessons to learn? Have I seen everything from the shadow, if you like, that I need to see? Because would you say it's true that our culture is quite fiercely independent? I think we are quite fiercely and militantly independent. We want to be in control of our time, and we want to be in control of our money. And so anywhere in the scripture that begins to challenge the way we use our time and the way we use our money touches on two of the deep rub issues in our hearts. And God loves us too much to let that just lie in the background because he knows how it hinders us from coming into fullness of relationship with him. And so Jesus' call to us is, trust me, entrust your life to me, walk with me, come into my rest and let me lead. And I love what John Piper writes about this. He says, the principle, and remember this is a principle now for us because it's now relational, which in some ways intensifies it. Because we're now not doing this just out of obligation to a rule, but we're doing it out of relationship with the God who we love and who we serve and who is our master and our Lord and our Savior. So th this becomes principle, but that doesn't remove it. This just means there is a layer of truth and, and information and revelation that is added to it. Okay? So the principle um, is in the New Testament is that God ordains 
but one day in seven, be restful. I think that's a creation ordinance for our good, for our health, says John Piper. And so again, the question, how are we doing at honoring God with our rest and ceasing from what we do. Now, if you are out and very active all the day, if you're building and you gardening or you you busy, then maybe your rest needs to look more sedentary. Is that the right word? Yes. You need to be more restful. Maybe if your work is sitting behind a desk all day and typing, John says in his article on this, perhaps what you need to do is actually be out in nature and walking and being active. So you ceasing from your work in order to rest, in order to be able to bring focus and time and attention to God and to honor him. Okay. So, so how are you finding this teaching? Who's feeling slightly offended? <laughs> okay, all right. So you wouldn't be the only one if you are. And, and we can feel offended in two ways. Remember, we can feel offended like, oh, I want it to be a law. And we can feel offended, I want to be the law unto myself. And so we need to, we need to submit that to the Lord so that he can walk us forwards. Okay, so let's understand. Why were the Pharisees so offended? Why did they get so upset? Well, this is, remember, the question that Jesus asked them, what is, what is the right thing to do here? And you can almost tell that Jesus is aware everyone's out to get him in this, in this synagogue. <laughs> you know, so there's the man there with the, with the withered hand, and he can tell they're all just looking to know, is he going to heal this man today? And if he is, this is an opportunity for us to, to kind of make a statement about the wrongness of Jesus. And so he challenges them. And he says, what is the law? What is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good, to save life, or to do evil and to kill? And we see that according to the Jewish tradition of the day, uh, which we have recorded for us now in the Mishnah, not sure if you've heard about this, but this is not the Old Testament, this is not the Bible, but this, if you like, was the commentary of the rabbis and the teachings, both before Jesus' time and afterwards. It was an oral tradition originally, and then was recorded, I think, by about 300 AD, it was, it was completed and put together. And so we have within the Mishnah the thinking of the Jewish leaders and teachers of the time. And we see from the Mishnah that the teaching around the Sabbath was that you weren't allowed to give medical care to anyone unless the situation was life-threatening. And so they know this man with the withered hand is not about to die. And so for them, according to their law and tradition that they have, it's not right to help him because he just needs to toughen up and wait till tomorrow. And can't Jesus come back and do it tomorrow and not break the law? Not God's law, but their law, their law of tradition. And so Jesus challenges them and he says, your law has broken my law. Because the Sabbath is meant to be the moment where people experience refreshing and the restoration of God. And you have missed that the Sabbath, Jesus himself, is in the room to bring the rest and restoration of God. And your hardness of heart and desire to keep your own law is preventing my child from experiencing my goodness. And his anger 
burns towards them. And the irony of it is that in defending their own law, they actually even step into now the point of breaking their own law. And on the Sabbath, they begin to determine how to kill Jesus. And the very law that is meant to be there to, to say, well, on the Sabbath, you can preserve life, they actually contravene. Uh, and we see that the spirit of religion will always ultimately become hostile to Jesus. The spirit of religion will always ultimately become hostile to Jesus. Okay, so let's wrap this up with this question. Where do we place our trust? Do we place our trust in Christ, our Sabbath rest, so that we can have rest from our work, so that we can yield in God? Do we place our trust in Him for redemption, for forgiveness, for salvation, for provision? Or do we still trust actually in our own actions, our own works, our own prayers? Not that those are bad, but they're not to be the primary place that we position our trust and our hope. Do we trust in Christ or in our culture? Do we trust in Christ or in our tradition? You see, there is no rest if it all rests on you. There is no rest if it all rests on us. But there is amazing rest for those who are able to come to God and say, Jesus, I am heavy and burdened, but I come to you to receive your rest for my soul. Because what does Jesus say? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because he is the Sabbath. He is not just the shadow that we would have a day in seven to be restored, but he is the Messiah who comes to bring complete rest and restoration for us so that we enter into his rest and are able then to do his ministry with his strength and with his power. That's meant to be inspiring for us and bring hope for us if we can get over our control and our religion. <laughs> but if we can pass through that, if we can let go of that, then we can actually enter into what God has for us. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about the church and how to connect with us in person or online, wherever you are, please visit our website at www.chiltonchurch.org.uk.